Well, good morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and find Romans 10. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then find the big number 10. We get to finish up chapter 10 here this morning. And we have been traveling through this book of Romans for quite a while now, right? And we have seen all kinds of sights along the way. Uh, wonderful, majestic scenery, doctrines that, that are part of the foundation of our faith. Uh, we've gotten to some real uh, nitty-gritty passages that were, that were interesting and difficult, and uh, what a sight to behold. Now, one of the things that keeps coming up again and again, like a theme, because it is the theme, is the gospel. And Paul keeps taking the gospel and turning it like a diamond, right, and, and showing us a different angle each verse we go through, and we just, especially in chapter 10, we're seeing the gospel. And there are so many beautiful corners of the gospel. One of the things I know I'm going to take away from this series in Romans is that the gospel is both complex and cosmic, but it's also simple and it's personal. I mean, in chapter 10, Paul boils it down and makes it pretty clear and simple. But then you step back and you look at the text and you're like, well, maybe it's not that simple. Maybe, maybe God is doing something cosmic with groups of people and the gospel is just a beautiful thing. This morning we're going to look at the gospel from three different point of views, all right? Three different point of views. And uh, we're going to start with the perspective of the preacher, those that are sharing the gospel, and then we'll move to the hearer, what's going on inside of them as they hear the gospel, and then we're going to lastly consider God's perspective. What is his master plan with the gospel? And so last week, I might remind you, we left off with that great verse, verse 15. And if you've found Romans chapter 10, you can glance at it. And that verse says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so last week, we spent some time studying that verse. And it was perfect because it was Mission Sunday. And uh, wasn't that a great Sunday, great service here last week, Mission Sunday? Then we had Missions Night, and uh, I, I think it was fantastic. I don't know how, how many of you were able to make it out, but if you see my wife, give her a big thank you because her and Pastor Jared largely organized that and planned it. And I walked away uh, both very burdened for the world around me and also invigorated that the gospel can make a difference, that we can see God work throughout our world. But it's one thing when you're on a missions high, like Mission Sunday, right? Or maybe you go on a missions trip. But what about Monday when you're in that cubicle next to somebody who you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if I'm making any difference. Like I've tried to talk to them about the Lord. I've tried to share the gospel. Is it doing anything? And I've noticed for me, it's far easier to share my faith when I'm like in another country with a big team and that's what we're doing. And then when I come home, I get in my normal routine and I'm talking to the neighbor or the coworker. Well, all the coworkers here at Bethel are saved, but are Christians. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, when you're just in normal routine, seeing people, you're not over there with the team doing, doing the missions trip. And so it's quite different, especially here in the suburbs of the United States of America. You know, just the other day I was driving through my neighborhood and I was thinking, man, a couple of people I wanted to talk to about Christ and develop the relationship, have them over, you know, do like a barbecue type thing. And I'm like, it's getting to that season where everyone goes in their houses and we don't see anyone for like a couple months, right? It's cold. And I'm like, I missed it. Oh. And so I think it's hard. It can be hard, especially in this 
part of the world where we all like our privacy and we all kind of like our, you know, our space. I, I believe that what I have here is good news. I believe that. But sometimes I'm skeptical that the people I'm going to talk to actually will think it's good news. <laughs> I think they're going to think it's old news or, or something that they aren't really interested in, heard before. And if you have ever tried to share the gospel, you know that sharing the gospel is not a slam dunk. Like when it comes to sharing your faith and sharing the gospel, it's not an automatic thing. Like you share and they rejoice in Christ. It's quite different than that. In fact, verse 14 and 15, you can glance at that. It's before our text here, but it's what we looked at last week. And in Romans 10, verse 14 and 15... We have this, this, this process of salvation, and remember, Paul does it in reverse order, which is a little complicated. But this, verse 14 and 15, is not an automatic formula. It's not like, okay, I go, I share the gospel, somebody hears the gospel, somebody believes the gospel, and then they call upon the name of the Lord. It's not an automatic formula where it's just going to happen every time, is it? If you've ever shared your faith, you know it doesn't often work that way. And that's why I like our text this morning. As we come into verse 16 and through the rest of the chapter, it's consistent with our real life experience. Because oftentimes we share and people hear, but it doesn't seem to make a difference. So I want to read with you Romans 10, and I do want to start in verse 14 just to give us some context here, and then we'll go verse 20, through verse 21. So follow along. So I read here God's word, Romans 10, verse 14 and following. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we ended with that verse, and it's Kind of glorious, and it's like, yes, let's go share our faith. And then verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, Paul says, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, the verse that stands out, if you're like me, from this text, the one that we've heard of before, the one that I'd be tempted to just preach alone is verse 17, and that's faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And that reminds me of verse 14 and verse 15, where it's this people hear and then they believe. But the context around that verse causes us to like pause and and reevaluate the whole passage. Like, not so fast, right? Because verse 16 You know, yes, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. But verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And if the truth be told, verse 14 and 15, that formula does not happen near as much as we want it to. 
right? How often does it happen that I go, I speak the words, the person believes, and they call upon the name of the Lord? Oh, how I wish it happened way more. Sometimes the gospel needs to bounce around in a, uh, for a while in somebody's mind and then, and then work its way into their heart. Many times a person has to be told numerous times. They have to hear the gospel again and again and again because salvation and evangelism is a process. It's not automatic like that. Then, when we least expect it sometimes, you've shared with somebody, they've heard, all of a sudden, they come to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit awakens something inside them. He unlocks something, and now they believe. And we don't know when that moment might be. Honestly, if, if you're like me, it can get discouraging, you know, if you're sharing your faith, you're sharing Jesus with people, and you don't see any results, right? Maybe you've prayed for somebody year after year after year, and you've yet to see the fruit. You've yet to see them cry out and say, I need to be saved. There's been a couple times where I've had people come to me and they've literally said, what do I have to do to become a Christian? And I'm like, oh, like that so rarely happens, right? Most of the time you're sharing and then there's a perplexed look or there's maybe a, okay, that's, that's cool for you or, or whatever, because people have to go through this process where the gospel sinks down into them and they really, really hear it. Now, it's disappointing, but it shouldn't be surprising to us because it's always been this way. Verse 16, Paul says, in his time, they have not all obeyed the gospel, which is kind of an understatement. He's using that literary device. No, they have not all obeyed the gospel. In fact, most of them haven't. But in Paul's day, people didn't often respond. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes from Isaiah 53. You'll see verse 1 and 2 where Isaiah writes these words, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And you have to understand that Isaiah's writing, and it's, the words are about the prophet, but they're also about Jesus Christ, we know from the New Testament. So he's, he's foreshadowing Jesus to come, okay? So he's saying, who has believed what they've heard from us about this Messiah? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's going to be Jesus, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And if you were to keep reading in Isaiah 53, you would see that this Savior is the suffering servant, right, who is wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, Who's the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. That's, that's the text. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. So nothing has really changed from Isaiah's day to Paul's day. He's still quoting what Isaiah said. And Isaiah says, who has believed our report? Not many people have listened to us. And Paul is preaching the gospel. And not many people have listened. The Jewish people did not listen to Isaiah's warning. They didn't understand that this is about the Messiah to come. They couldn't fathom that their hero, this Messiah, would be a suffering servant, this guy on the cross, if they even understood what it was. They, that's not the hero they were looking for. So they didn't believe what they heard. And if you know the Old Testament, God sent prophet after prophet to Israel. And time and time again, Israel did not listen. And it's not that different in the United States, is it? We have had hundreds of years of gospel saturation, preacher after preacher, prophet after prophet, if you will. The words of the gospel have been sent forth throughout our country, 
And here in the heartland of the United States, there are little embedded gospel pieces all over the place. You can drive by a billboard and you can see the gospel on it. The fumes of our Judeo-Christian heritage still linger in the air. And every once in a while, people smell them. You turn the radio station and, oh, there's a Christian radio station, a preacher preaching the gospel. You, you see somebody at a game, an athlete, give glory to God for what they did. I mean, there's just all of these little embedded gospel pieces. Verse 18 for sure applies to us when it says, Have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That applies to us here, just like it applied to the Jews. It's very interesting Paul uses Psalm 19. He's quoting from Psalm 19. And so he's illustrating the spread of the gospel in his day to the known world. But he's using Psalm 19, which is about the created world, the general revelation. The fact that God has made the world and he has created it with all these little arrows that point to him. All the beauty that we see around us. And and it doesn't matter what language you speak or where you live or even if you've ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you wake up and you see and observe this world. And Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That's what Paul is quoting. And so he's using this passage, which which is about the general revelation, the natural world, which reminds me of Romans 1. Remember in Romans 1 when we read about how creation shows us God's divine nature and his eternal power. So apparently by observing the world around us, the created world, you can see that there is a God who is powerful and who has a divine nature. And so, the scriptures say, we're without excuse. Every day, people wake up and they see a painted sky. Sometimes it's extremely beautiful. Sometimes in Indiana, it's overcast. But somewhere in the world, they're seeing a painted sky. You know, God just, this beautiful, magnificent display of his glory. We see the marvel of the animal kingdom. We see just the way the world works. I saw the other day, National Geographic had finalists of like um, animal fo- photo- uh, photographs. And there was this one where, where like a, uh, a marmot was being, a- just before it got attacked by a fox, the marmot stood up and had this like, ah! It was, it was the f- coolest picture I've seen in a long time. But the, the, the amazing marvel of the animal kingdom and the way that things are designed and people see that. The complexity of human emotion, right? I mean, sadness and joy and love. And every day people observe that. They, they see it. And, in, and Romans 1 says they kind of suppress the truth. Something inside of them is saying, you know, there's probably a designer. There's probably somebody who made this. I wonder if they're all powerful. I wonder if I'm going to have to answer to them. But what we do as humans is we kind of push that truth down. Instead, we believe a lie that we are our own gods, that we can kind of be masters of our own destiny. So some people have not only all of that, natural creation, but they have even more than that. Paul's saying the gospel is going forth. And I think about our country today, and and the gospel has gone forth. When we talk to somebody about Jesus, we are rarely the first voice that they've heard. They've probably heard a preacher on TV, or they've probably heard a family member, or they've probably heard about the gospel somewhere before. And, and, And 
So often people have had these little gospel breadcrumbs that are supposed to lead them to Jesus, but they often don't. I think the point is this Paul is making. Everyone has heard something. Some, like Israel and many around us, have heard everything. Everyone's heard something about God through creation, but some have heard it all. They've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just think with me of of, of God purposefully painting that sky for people to see. And day in and day out, people don't get it. Or they turn the dial and they hear a Christian radio station like, oh, yeah. I mean, right now they're all fundraising, so it's kind of, yeah. But, you know, somebody maybe catches a little bit of moody radio or something and they hear a gospel message and then they're, nah, nah, and they turn it. They see billboards, they read gospel tracts, they see John 3.16 at the game. All of these things, and they ignore it. They ignore it all. Why? Why do so few people embrace the gospel? So I want to consider the point of view of the hearer, the person who is hearing the gospel. What's going on? Because when you hear the gospel, our text says it requires ears to hear. You can't just hear it in an auditory way. You have to actually hear it. In verse 14 through 18 There is this emphasis on hearing. I mean, if you just glance at your Bible, and if you're an underliner, you could underline every time you see the word hear, okay, in verse 14 through 18. It's the word akuo. We get acoustics from that. And so you'll see it in 14. You'll see it throughout uh, 14 through 18. One time, though, in verse 16, it's translated obeyed. So when you see that word obeyed in verse 16, that's a similar word. It has akuo in it, but it's a little different form. It's a compound word. It adds hupo to akuo. So it's not just here. It's hupo here or hupo akuo. And so it means to hear under. And so the, the people that obey the gospel are people who hear deeply. They actually really hear, not just with their ears, but they hear with their heart. I want to stop, though, and I just want us to see from this text that auditory hearing is required. Like, it is required that you hear the gospel message. If you don't hear it, you don't know it, as the text has said, you won't repent. You won't call out upon the name of the Lord. It is required. So it requires more than auditory hearing, but not less. That's why it's so important to spread the message of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So we must use words. We have to communicate certain words, certain truths to people. And so now would be a great time to remind you that we have an opportunity planned for you starting next week, this Cultivate Workshop. If you come next week, first service, you can come first service, do the Cultivate Workshop, then come worship second service like you're doing today. And you will, be, you will be taught and trained and we'll try to equip you in two weeks with some basics on just having gospel conversations Obviously, this is a process. You, 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 throughout your Christian life, you learn how to share your faith. But I would encourage you to register no matter how long you've been a Christian. Because if you're like me, you always need to be sharpened. So next week, starting uh, next week, first service, and then the following week, that first service, we'll have this, uh, this Cultivate workshop. You can go to the website, go to events, and you'll see it right there. It's like the second one there. But faith comes by hearing and hearing through The word of Christ. If we're not sharing Christ and people aren't hearing, how are they going to come to faith? So it is required that they hear. So the the point Paul is making here is, and I'll say this twice because it's hard to catch, but you can't believe without hearing, but you can hear without believing. So, So you can't believe without hearing, but you can hear 
without believing, right? And he's saying, people have heard. The words have gone out. The Jewish people know, they know the Old Testament. They have the covenants. They know and they've heard, but they haven't believed. And so that's why Jesus so often, after he shares a parable, he says something like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? And he's not looking at a bunch of people that don't have physical ears, okay? He's saying, you have to have ears to hear. You need to deeply hear. You can hear without hearing. The problem is, so many people heard in his day, but they didn't really hear. And in this next chapter uh, of Romans, when we get into chapter 11, Paul's going to quote Isaiah again, and he's going to say that Israel has a spirit of stupor. They have eyes that cannot see, and they have ears that cannot hear. And so this theme's kind of throughout the chapters here. Do you really hear? Do you really see? When Christ walked the earth, people saw him, but they didn't really see him. They heard what he said, but they didn't really hear him. They didn't understand who he was. And as Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, they they couldn't imagine that he would be the Messiah. What is required is not simply hearing in an auditory way, akuo. It is hupo akuo. It is really hearing. It is obedience, as translated in verse 16. So if, if you were to go back to chapter 1, Paul uses this same word in Romans 1.5. And this is kind of his purpose statement here, Romans 1.5. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So just look at that verse here for a second. And what he says is, my whole purpose, the whole reason that we do these missionary journeys and we share Christ is to bring about the obedience, that's hupoakuo, the, the deep hearing, people that really hear it, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So this is his whole goal as an apostle, to bring about obedience. Not just so he can say, yes, in our statistics, 70,000 people heard the gospel. He wants people to really hear it, to obey it, for it to change their life. This is faith hearing. Faith hearing. One must hear by faith. Faith, of course, is the difference maker. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I think of it this way. Faith is like the decoder that unlocks the message. Now, when I was young, I used to like to do those uh, cryptograms. Have you ever seen these things? It's like a bunch of letters that make no sense because every letter is a different letter. So like M might be C and D is really F. And so you got to decode it, you got to use the cipher, and then once you learn what that is, then you can actually translate it. You can look at that message. It's not going to mean a whole lot unless you have the decoder, and faith is that way. You can hear the message, you can read this book, but unless God infuses faith into you, you're not going to make any sense of it. It's, it's going to be a nice book. It's not going to change your life. You have to hear with your heart, not just with your ears. So I want to pause and ask you here this morning because I don't want to move on without at least considering this. Is there any possibility that you have heard all of these Romans messages, you know? And you've heard what we've said, but you haven't really heard. Like your heart hasn't been humbled to the point where you say, Jesus, I need your sacrifice. I can't do this. This whole righteousness thing, being right with God, it's not going to happen through me. I need you. Has that happened? Have you really heard with your heart? How tragic it would be to hear with your ears all of these sermons, but not deeply hear. 
Christian, have you uh, uh, shared this gospel with people? Have you shared your faith? And people heard you, but they didn't really hear you. Has ever happened? You know, you've spoken the truth, and they nodded, and they listened, and they said something like, that's nice for you, or whatever, and they didn't really hear it. It can be discouraging. I've been there too. A couple of weekends ago, I had the blessing of, of doing my annual camping trip with my brothers and my dad, the Colton Men camping trip. It's a very manly time. We sit around a campfire like all day and night. Uh, I came home and everything I had smelled like smoked meat, so that was pretty good. Um, but the thing I really look forward to, honestly, most of all, is I know I'm going to have uh, spiritual conversations with my brothers and my dad. And two of my brothers are not believers, and then myself and, and one of my other brothers are believers. And I'll be honest with you, we don't talk throughout the year that much about our faith, because my brothers have heard the gospel so many times. We grew up in Christian school, in church every Sunday at least once. And so there's been an oversaturation. But I look forward to these, these times where we're together around a fire and we're vulnerable and we can share. And, you know, every year about like one or two in the morning, my brother Adam and I get into a deep existential conversation about God's existence, our existence, truth, all of this stuff. And every year we kind of hit the same roadblocks, the same challenges. And I'll tell you, it can be discouraging, right? I pray for him. I pray for my other brother as well all the time. And I want to encourage you this morning not to give up. I want to encourage you not to give up. This year uh, we had some of the same discussions, some of the same roadblocks, but he and I have been reading some uh, Francis Schaeffer books together and, we've been, and we were able to discuss them together. And I don't know, there was a little bit of a tenderness in his heart this year. Some of you were praying for me, and I just want to say thank you if you were one of those people that knew I was going to have these conversations, and you were praying. I don't know. I'm wondering, and I'm praying, maybe God's doing something where finally uh, Adam is starting to really hear. Not just hear, but hear in his heart. And just don't give up, okay? You have people I know in your life who you have shared the truth with, and they've heard it, and nothing seems to have happened yet. God can still work. God can still move and God is in the business of saving people. So just want to encourage you with that. The fact of the matter is that evangelism is difficult, right? And, and there are roadblocks. But if you look at this text, there is incredible cause for hope. So I want to focus on the last couple of verses here. And I want you to see how hopeful this really is. Because all I've said up to this point is boots on the ground. Like from my perspective, sharing. Or the person's perspective, hearing. But if we're able to zoom out. And see the gospel from a cosmic perspective. Actually see God's perspective in the gospel. We're going to understand why there are limitations with our sharing and with people's hearing. It's not about the eloquence of the preacher. It's not about the intelligence of the listener. The gospel is designed by God to bring attention and glory to him and him alone. That's the way he, he did it. He, he made the gospel this way. It's not about me and my ability to share it, though I want to become a, a skilled evangelist. I think the Cultivate Workshop is a great thing for us. But at the end of the day, it's not based on my eloquence and it's not based on the intelligence of the person I'm sharing with because God is doing something that is much, much bigger. God has designed the gospel. It is his masterpiece I want you to see from, from verse 19 through 21, the very way that God has orchestrated salvation, his election of Israel, his work among the Gentiles, all of this is designed to strip us of our self 
righteousness. I mean, we've been seeing that in the book of Romans, right? It's not about my righteousness. Israel, it's not about your heritage, your bloodline. It's not about the Gentiles seeking God. They weren't. So even the way that the gospel has been designed is meant to point to the mercy of God. So read with, read with me again, verse 19 through 21. I want to just highlight this again. And so Paul's writing, he says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, and he, he quotes Deuteronomy, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Speaking of the Gentiles. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say. So now he's quoting the prophets. He's quoted the Psalms. He's quoted the law. Now he's quoting the prophets. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've been shown, I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now when we read the book of Romans, we are tempted to read it from an individualistic, me and my salvation perspective. And we're Westerners, so as Westerners, we have a, an amplified problem with this. Everything is individualistic. Like I have, my music playlist is my music playlist. I like it that way, right? Everything is individualized. You know, I can go, now I can go some places and get a Coke machine where I can choose peach with this. And I mean, I don't even know what to do with those machines. I love them. But like our culture is all about individual, individualism, right? So when we read the book of Romans, we can be tempted to read it all through the lens of me and my salvation, and it is beautiful for that. <laughs> My sins placed on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness on me. I mean, I can sing about that stuff. But there is something else going on in the book of Romans that is bigger and it's cosmic. And if we zoom out and we see what God is doing, not just now, but what he's been doing since the creation of the world, we're going to understand, wow, the gospel is cosmic. So Paul's writing, and, and God is doing something in that time through the Gentiles and through the church being built, and that's kind of unprecedented, what is happening after Pentecost with the spread of the, of the gospel through the, the known world and the Gentiles. But what Paul's helping us remember is that God's work did not begin with the church. Actually, the gospel really started with Israel. Really, when you look at what God's been doing, he started with the people and that was always part of his plan, to work with Israel, to work with the Gentiles, to work with both. That's why Paul is quoting Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture. He's saying this is something that started a long time ago. He's showing that he has always had the same plan. So it starts with calling a particular people to himself, Abraham, right? So Abraham is called out from pagan people. Why? Not because Abraham was special, because God set his affection and his mercy on Abraham, called him out, and what did he do? He, started a, a, he established a covenant with Abraham and with his son and his grandson and all the patriarchs. But remember with me back to when God first called Abraham, what does he say? He said, I've called you to be a blessing to the nations. So from the very beginning, when God is working through Abraham, he's got this like... Uh, this missional desire for his people. It was always his plan to bless the nations, a global plan from the very beginning. It always included Gentiles. That's my point here. And that's what Paul is helping them realize. Sometimes people think the church was plan B, right? Like, so God is working through Israel, and then Israel rejects 
you know, the prophets, and they reject Jesus as Messiah. And so then he pivots, and he goes, okay, plan B, let's go work with the church now. I was really going to work with you guys, but you've stiff-armed me, so now I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to work with the Gentiles. And that's not what has happened. It was never a pivot. It was always his purpose. It was always his plan to do this very thing, to work with a particular group of people, the Jews, and to call Gentiles in. They were supposed to share the light among the Gentiles. Here's why. God did it this way. Because the very essence of the gospel is God calling outsiders in. That's what he does. And that's what the gospel means. It's not a club. It's not God picking a certain group of people because they're special. They're special because he picked them. And so what happens is God calls the outsider Abraham in. God establishes a people for himself that were not his people. I mean, who was Israel that God picked them anyway? Was it because they were a great nation? Well, the Old Testament says, no, that's actually not why he called them. He called them because he loved them. And so what happened was Israel started to forget this. They started to become entitled, and they started to think, well, we're, we're special, you know? The Gentiles, those are losers. We're special. And they forgot that the whole thing was about God's mercy in the first place. They at one time were not his people. Now they are his people. Remember uh, Jacob and Esau in chapter 9, right? Remember? It has nothing to do with either one of them. They weren't even born yet, and God sets his affection on one of them. It's all about God's mercy, the incredible, marvelous grace of God. And and so what God's doing in these verses is he's reminding us, and he's making it crystal clear by calling Gentiles to himself that the gospel is about the outsiders being brought in. People who've been known as dogs, to the Jews, right? The Gentiles were known as dogs, people that just, you know, outsiders, outcasts. In verse 19, people who are described as foolish. I mean, look at that. God is making them jealous with this foolish nation. But that's the gospel. God loves to call foolish people and save them. People who, according to verse 20, are not even looking for God. They're not even searching. They haven't even tried to find God, but God has found them. They haven't asked for it, but God showed himself to them. Why? Why is he doing all this? What is the point he's trying to make with Israel and with us to show us that the gospel has nothing to do with our pedigree, has nothing to do with our wisdom? It is the foolish and it is the weak and it is the humble that inherit the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. Not the wise, the strong, and the proud. I mean, after all, we have a Savior who hung on a cross and who was despised. Isaiah 53 that Paul's quoting. He was despised and rejected by men. No form or majesty that we should look upon him, it says. No beauty that we should desire him. And here's the mystery of the gospel, that what is foolishness to the world is actually wisdom to God. (laughs) That that Savior who's hanging there is an outcast. He's foolish to people. But this crucified outcast was in reality the beloved son of God. And that sign that hung above him, king of the Jews, that he was. He's actually the king of creation. This suffering servant was the king of creation, is the king of creation. So understand, people saw him, but they didn't really see him. And they heard him, but they didn't really hear him. Praise God that salvation isn't dependent upon our awareness or our keenness, 
we'd all be in trouble. Has nothing to do with our seeking ability. Notice that from the verses I read. They weren't seeking God. They weren't even, they weren't even looking for him. No, he is seeking people. He is seeking a people for himself from all nations. He's doing that. And he's tireless in his pursuit. Look at the last verse with me. And this is a beautiful, beautiful verse. Verse 21. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Can you see the patient, steadfast love of God here? What beautiful imagery. God holding out his arms for this rebellious people. And day after day, here he is with his arms outstretched. I think of the prodigal son and the father who waits, who anticipates his rebellious child. What a counterbalance to what we studied in chapter 9. Right? We've looked in chapter 9 and we've seen a God who elects. But this is not a God who's cold. Our electing God isn't just up in heaven pulling levers and pushing buttons and, and choosing people. And do, and he, I mean, look at, look at verse 21. At the very same time, while he is an electing God, he is also a God who outstretched, has outstretched arms, loving people day in and day out. That's a beautiful compliment to Romans 9 and what we see from the character of our God. He is warm. He is inviting. He's patient when people stiff arm him day after day and they hear and they hear and they hear and they see all these little gospel breadcrumbs and you've shared with them and they continue to say no or say that's nice. Have you ever offered to, to shake somebody's hand and they totally just let you hang there? Like you went to shake their hand, they're just like, yeah, I'm not really, I don't do that. It's kind of like, what, they don't say that, but you're like, okay, well. Or you go to like, slap somebody five and they just totally reject you. It's super awkward, super awkward. So if that happens out there, I'll know you're just messing with me because of the sermon, all right? It's super awkward, but it's, uh, it's not to God. It's not to God because there God, God remains. Verse 21, he stands there with his arm outstretched, love in his eyes, it's not awkward for him. He's loving. He's patiently pursuing day after day. Our God is tireless in his pursuit. And I hope that that this morning encourages you, emboldens you to keep sharing the truth with people. I know you've prayed for them. You've talked to them. Don't give up. God doesn't give up. God is patient. God is a pursuing God. May we be that same same kind of friend where we love and we patiently pursue.